Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. KYW Original Podcasts. It was like raining out that day. I mean, no, it was a sunny, sunny day. It was a bright sunny day. It was, uh, it was warm. It was in the summertime, typical summer, you know, Saturday summer afternoon. It was, um, no, it was actually a beautiful day, you know, which had the people outside. I guess that's what, why so many people were out walking and, and jogging. And, and like I said, you know, we have the, the number of people that saw that car out there first thing in the morning because they were out doing things. It was a nice day. One woman just happened to look inside and, and see the victim on the back seat. And, and the evidence underneath probably took a few hours for that to appear. Yeah. So. You think it was like right here, though? Like right where we are? A lot of people remember seeing the car, but never what was inside the car. And the flashers were on? That was the other thing. Yeah. Four way flashers were on in the car. It's so odd. I mean, nowadays, everybody has cameras up. outside their houses and stuff like that. It happened now. You know, yeah, the cameras yeah. neighbor grabbing all sorts of video, but you know, it didn't have any of that. It wasn't around. From KYW News Radio. In Philadelphia. Philly. Philadelphia. You know, maybe somebody will hear this podcast and remember these people are out there. They, they got away with this. These are true stories about unsolved crimes. There are no new houses along the street. Every house that's here was here 25 years ago. This neighborhood's been the same. It really has not changed. I guess it's just the fact of knowing what happened and why. She was this innocent person. Exactly. Mother of two. She didn't do anything wrong. Like, why did someone have to do this to her? Someone lost their life here 26 years ago. It was somebody's mother daughter, sister. I mean, do what's right. Uh, may, may lead to us solving the crime. I'm Kristen Johansson. I'm Tom Rickard. This is Gone Cold. I ran into Lieutenant Chris Flanagan. He was a lieutenant at the time. He's now um, in charge. He's superintendent of Radnor Police. He said, oh, we have a case for you. It's the case of Jennifer Tong. She's a mother who was um, found dead in her car, uh, murdered, shot in the head. 
And he said, it's something that's been weighing on us for a long time. And he put me in touch with Sergeant Joseph McGuire. Kristen Johansson, he's, he's aware I'm here. We're coming. Sergeant McGuire, um, you know, he grew up in Radnor. I mean, he knows that town or township so well. He knows the ins and outs of it. He knows the people there. This is not something he was ever expecting to be a part of, and it's been with him. You could say like a disease okay. for 26 yeah. so years. Okay, got you. Okay, thanks. I called Sergeant McGuire, and he said, um, let me double-check with the assigned detective who's on the case now, and that's Texas driver. And um, that's how we got here. Sarge, yeah, how are you? Joe McGuire. Yeah. Nice to finally meet you. Nice to finally meet you, too. Sorry. The teaching's back here, too. And Great. I think the interview rooms are going to be used, but we'll just go back to my office. And, Sergeant McGuire remembers everything about that day, June 26th, 1993. But I think before we talk about what happened back then, we need to talk about Jennifer Tong. Yep, I'm ready to go. You ready to go? Okay, great. Uh, can you first go ahead and just say and spell your name, which I know sounds crazy, but... Jeanette Tong, J-E-A-N-E-T-T-E-T-O-N-G. And who are you? I am Jennifer Tong's daughter. First tissues right there. Sorry, Jeanette. I think it's fair to say that the main reason I'm not going to forget this case anytime soon is because of Jeanette Tong and what an impact she made on both of us when she came to the studio to to talk about her mom yeah you know she doesn't tell her children much about what happened to their grandmother they ask questions they said what did you do with your mom when you were a kid I tried not to talk that much about it because don't want to get upset. And they're still young. She doesn't talk about it in front of them. She's trying to protect them. Sometimes they see pictures. I try to just keep it simple and straightforward with them. They're still young. And so I think for her to come in here and, you know, we rehash that old wound, it's like... It was really, really difficult for her. We, you know, we'd say, it's okay if you want to stop. You know, like, we don't want to pressure you into doing this and... She said, no, 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 I want to, I want to. Jeanette was so brave. She kept going until we didn't have any more questions. Yeah. Let's start off with just you talking a little bit about growing up with your mom. Um, Sounds like she worked incredibly hard. Selfless, definitely. Selfless mother. She worked two jobs. Obviously for me and my brother, the family. I remember moving into the house into Brumal because apparently the house before that we lived in, she thought it was too small. She wanted a bigger house for me and my brother. Where did your mom work at the time that all this happened? I think it was Lee Garden in the Lawrence Park Shopping Center. And I think she worked at a restaurant in the King of Prussia Mall. Um, I don't remember the name of it. Olga's Kitchen? Yeah. 
in KOP. I, it, I saw that in a couple news yeah. articles. Yeah, right, yeah. So did I. So tell me where you lived and just what I want to say your life was like as kids, what you remember. Um, we lived in Brumont. My mom always came home from work around like 6.30-ish. And she would cook dinner and we would do homework and then you go to bed. My dad had a restaurant. Um, he partnered with someone um, in Havertown. Um, sometimes we would go there, you know, just to visit my dad because I didn't really see my dad much. You know, uh, when, I went, when I got up to go to school... Um, he'd still be sleeping, and then when I came home, he'd still be at work. And when I went to sleep, he'd still be at work. I was home a lot, you know what I mean? But my mom always made sure that there was something for me to do, like laundry, clean. <laughs> I remember she taught me how to cook rice with the rice cooker. She said, make sure the rice is cooked. You know, so when I come home from work, you know what I mean? I can start cooking, you know, the dishes or whatever. So it was just like a routine. Sometimes me and my mom would go to the mall, um... Springfield Mall was the closest, you know, always like going to Springfield Mall. Sometimes um, on holidays, we would go to like Atlantic City, you know, and play on the beach a little, you know, and then play in the arcade. That was pretty, I mean, life was simple. You said she was the daughter of immigrants? I know they, when they first came over from Hong Kong, um, they moved to New York. And my grandma still tells me to this day how um, my mom and my second oldest aunt um, had to help my grandma work as a seamstress because my grandma would always say, "Oh well, you know when your when your mom was your kid's age, they were already working, and they had to help me. You know, if not, how would we have enough money to feed the family?" And she, my grandma, always references that my. You know, this generation and my kids definitely have a hundred times better life than they did when they grew up. So she was one of how many kids? There was four girls and two boys. And the young, my youngest uncle passed away, like, in the 80s, I think it was. So she's so one, of, like, what's her number? She's the third oldest. Okay. Got you. And do you know, what was her life like in Hong Kong? Did she ever talk about that? She never really did. I mean, I guess maybe I was too young to even ask or, you know, or for her to talk about it. But she never really talked about it. Um, only thing I saw were, like, pictures, you know, like, those black and white, everyone standing, you know. That's about it. It's funny because you don't think when you're, like, a kid, you don't ever think your parents were kids. Like, it's, no, you know, you're like, exactly. you were never my age. Exactly. Jeanette also sent me um, pictures of her mom. And her mom was Beautiful. And I, th I do think Jeanette looks like her mom a bit. I do. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's like some pictures in there when it looks like Jeanette maybe was younger, maybe just born, where, she, where her hair is cropped and kind of like flipped up and back like Farrah Fawcett. It's, you know, is that kind of like early 80s look. And then later, it's just funny because it's such a 90s picture, but, you know, she has like um, a, a shoulder length hair with like bangs and it's... Um, they're crimped waves. Like crimping was a big deal in the 90s. So like she just, and I think that's right, you know, before she died, obviously. So it seems like her mom was also pretty stylish or at least like in trend. Yeah. Like it's a, but it's a bourbon mom. When they came over, like I said, they first moved to New York. And then after a while, they moved to Philly. Um, I know my mom went to high school in Philly. 
They lived in, like, West Philly, Overbrook area. So she was incredibly close with the family, I... She was. My grandma um, lived in West Philly. My three aunts, they all lived in New York. You know, on the weekends, sometimes, you know, when she got out of work, we would just go visit grandma. Maybe certain holidays, um, we would go out to New York. You know, I mean, I think we always looked forward to those trips. It was like, almost like a road trip kind of thing. We never really... I never went to, like, Disney with my mom, you know, nothing like that. So I guess it was just every chance we got to do anything was special. And where, like, in the area of New York, was it, like, um, one of the boroughs? Or? So um, my oldest aunt lives in Brooklyn, and the second aunt, um, she also bought a house in Brooklyn as well. So I remember going there, um, and we, me and my brother spent the summers there, too. What would you say would be a favorite memory that you have of your mom? Like one, if you could pick out like one memory of just taking afternoon naps with my mom. Just sometime it was like a long day. I would always lay in her bed and take a nap with her. <laughs> Did you guys do that like every day? No, just once in a while, but I think that's one thing maybe I remember the most and I miss the most. So just take us back if you can remember just on the what you remember from you were up in New York, correct? Yes, I was in New York. Uh, me and my brother were already spending the summer there. And you did that like every summer? Not every summer, um, but a lot of the time, um, you know, I mean, because my parents worked all the time and we had cousins our age. And I remember, yeah, my oldest aunt, her house was only like five or ten minutes down the road from her. So that's where we were when we found out. Um, close, I'll close this. Yeah, that'd be great. So you go first, Sergeant. Okay, uh, Sergeant Joseph McGuire, M A G U I R E. Uh, I've been okay. I've been with Radner since uh, February of 1979, so I'm 40 years on the job right now. Uh, over those years, I was on patrol, came back to detectives for 10 years, made it to sergeant. And now I'm currently the integrity control officer for the department, which means I handle complaints. I handle a lot of different projects for the department. And you were also in the fire department. Uh, I've been a member of the fire company for 45 years, a local fire company. So uh, right now I'm the, the, currently the chief there at the fire company. So if there's a fire like that happens right now, you have to go. No, nah, no. Nah, actually, you know what? Let me turn the page off just in case. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. The pager can go Okay. Off. And you go ahead with your... Detective TJ Schreiber. I've been with Radner for almost 18 years. I've been a detective for the last seven Every time we talk to homicide detectives or people who work in major crimes, every one of them has a like a specific case or a couple of them that really gnaw at them. They're like, oh yeah, if I had to pick one to solve before I retire, like it's right. Joe McGuire has been working on this for 26 years. There's a very real chance. There has to be a very real chance in his mind that he's not going to be able to solve this before he retires. I mean, it must be incredibly hard for Sergeant McGuire to have to kind of 
hand this over possibly for good. I think for them, the victims' families become almost like their families. They become that important to them. Sergeant McGuire has been there since day one. He was at the actual crime scene. So Detective Schreiber has a great tool with him, which is basically like a walking timeline of what happened with this case. And, you know, somebody to refer to. And where are you from, Sergeant? From Radnor. From Radnor, yeah. okay. Born and raised in so Radnor. So, can you explain Radnor? <laughs> I know that's a very broad question, but... We are in an, uh, yeah, an unusual spot. We are wedged in between Chester County and Montgomery County. We're wedged in between even some of the smaller departments to our south. Have, have For a while, they were having, you know, police-involved shootings and things like that to the south of us, to the west of us. We, it doesn't happen here. Uh, it's basically a bedroom community. You know, this is not the Wild West. seems like sometimes we have a bubble over us. And so when something like this happens in here, it gets you so involved because it's not normal for this this place. It's not, it's not normal for that. How old were you? At the time, I was 11. How old were you? So your brother, 14? Around there, yeah. Yeah, okay. So who told you? I think what happened that morning was um, we got a phone call that they found someone in my mom's car. I think we were trying to look for my dad. We couldn't find my dad. We were calling the restaurant. He wasn't there. We called the restaurant where my mom was supposed to be at. She wasn't there, but she wasn't due to go into work that early anyway. It it was Saturday, June 26, 1993. Um, That day, I was, uh, that was a Saturday. I was assigned to detectives. I was the on-call detective for the weekend. I was taking a class at the Redner Fire Company. Back then, we didn't have cell phones or anything like that, so we had a pager that just had a number show up. So I called down to see what was going on and came into the station here, grabbed my equipment, grabbed the car, and then just drove right down there. So I was down there within a few minutes. There's a man who's getting ready for golf, to play golf. And he looks at his window. She was in her house in, in Marple around, um, I'm just going to say around 6.30 in the morning, yeah, around I think. Around 6.30. Um, he was waiting for some golfing buddies to come pick him up. And he sees a car across the street, a little bit diagonal. The brown Toyota Celica hatchback. Late 80s style. He saw... Uh, several Asian males walking down towards her house. And, uh, Did he say how many? He saw five, four and a driver. A couple go to the front door, a couple go to the side. Three at the front door, then one came from around the side of the house, it looked like he motioned to the three in front, then he saw them disappear around the driveway side of the house, which was a lower level door leading into the house. He didn't think anything uh, malicious was happening. He didn't think it was going to, anything dangerous was happening. It was just, it was odd. He noted it and he moved on. 
he was a, a, a little bit older gentleman. Um, couldn't remember or if he saw the license plate or not. And they spoke to that neighbor several times. That man has since died. Now, Jeanette and her brother are not there. They were staying with the aunt, which they every summer they would go up and spend some time with one of the aunts up in New York. Mr. Tong is also not home. Did her husband ever call anything in, like, my wife's missing? or? No, he, uh, he, he told us he had gone out to run some errands, and when he came back to the house, uh, she was not there and her car was gone. And he assumed that she had gone to work or done something, so he went and... Uh, I think he picked up his brother. They had to pick up some supplies for his restaurant. Then he went to his restaurant. They believe that was the starting point. They believe that was her abduction, was when the golfer, we'll call him the neighbor, saw those men go into that house. Somebody came in and took her out. There was money that was missing from the house as well. Um, and her car was taken. And the next thing we knew was the first sighting that we have of her car in Radnor was at 7 a.m. So the time frame all seems to fit that what he saw and the time that he saw what he saw all, all comes into play. From that time until 1.32 o'clock, right? It's about seven hours until the jogger sees the trail under the car. On cold, we'll be right back. It's the smart look at the issues catching fire in Philadelphia. Flashpoint. What we have is a crisis. This goes way beyond just the perpetrator. You know how many times I had stopped people in front of my house from shooting up? It was a moment where black and brown people on the margins got to say, no, we've been hurting. I think we forget that you came from somewhere else, too. Host Jerry Gregg walks you through the flames on air Saturday evenings at 930 and Sunday mornings at 830. Or search the Flashpoint podcast on the radio.com app. I think they said they found someone in my mom's car, like a person that passed away. I think I remember I was like, did someone steal my mom's car? Or I don't think it ever comes to your mind that you would think it was your family member. And after like a couple hours, many, many phone calls. I think it was confirmed that it was my mom. So I think what happened in between those hours of being in New York and going back to Philly, I remember. Because I remember we got to Philly later on that evening. I guess I didn't know any better because I was younger. I kind of thought that I was still going to see my mom or something. But he didn't. And I just remember everyone gathering in my grandma's house, just sitting there crying. It was a residential neighborhood is where the vehicle was found. There's a woman who lives in Radnor, about seven miles from Jennifer's house. 
It'll take you 10 minutes or so if you go up the Blue Route. She's walking or jogging around her neighborhood around 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And she sees a car. Jennifer's car. What kind of car is that? Camry. Is that what it was? Newer Toyota Camry. Color? It was like that greenish teal hunter green that was popular in the 90s. And then she sees something else. The car had his four ways on, and it was this woman who called in, called him because she also saw blood coming out front of the vehicle and running down the street. So she calls police. Myself and some of the other detectives went out and started talking to all the residents down there to see what they had seen. And so we were able to piece together a little more of a timeline that it appears that um, the victim's vehicle showed up on the street around 7 o'clock in the morning. I think that was the first sighting that we had from one of the residents there. They remember seeing a car with four-way flashers on sitting there, but they just drove by or walked by. Uh, it wasn't until 1.18 in the afternoon when we actually got the call from the woman who looked inside and saw the, the blood outside the vehicle. There must have been some holes or something in the floor well that uh, allowed it to seep through and then just run out the road. Police found Jennifer in the back seat of her car, parked off to the side of Spring Mill Road. The victim was shot in the head, um, and I would say it appears to be execution style. There was, uh, you know, it obviously seemed to be intent to harm this person. It was not a random thing. It doesn't seem to us. And that's her own car that she was in the back seat, and that she was driven up to the, the street up here in Radnor, located there. Whether or not the, the homicide actually occurred in Marple along the way or once they got up here, uh, we don't know, but that's that's where she was left in the car up here. Um, yeah. And no one reported hearing any gunshots shots or anything? Uh, nothing. And do you know what she was shot with? Uh, 32. Were there shot pistons in the car? No, there was nothing in there as far as I was concerned. Possibly a revolver, or they took it. It could have been, or they, or they took it with, they them, took it with them. Right. Well, I don't know if you guys would be willing to take me out to the scene, um, but I would love to go. Um, yeah, I'll go now. You don't mind? Okay, great. The place where she was found, it's eerily quiet. You think it was like right here though? I think this is about the area. Yeah. You know, I was asking, so do you, did anybody hear anything? And they said no. While we stand here, if we see one car, Surprise. It's you know just residents driving through here. It's not a cut through street or anything like that. So it's uh, it's it's a pretty quiet, secluded neighborhood, all things considered. There was also a pillow there, so part of the thought is maybe it was used as kind of a silencer. The idea is also that 
they took their car and her car to this location, followed each other. Yeah, with the car facing in this direction that we're directly, you know, facing south right now on the street, you would think that they probably came up the blue route and got off the Lancaster and made the loop. There are these homes that are behind barriers of bushes and trees. It's like a canopy of trees that kind of line this road every which way. And 25 years ago, was it as developed as it is now, this area? This neighborhood's been the same. It really has not changed. Um, there are no new houses along the street. Every house that's here was here 25 years ago. That's right. 26 years ago. Yeah. Maybe it just wasn't quite as as filled in with some of the, the shrubs and stuff like that. But it essentially was was what, what we see right here. I think the second question is, why this road? Like, why would you come up... I don't think they mapped this out ahead of time. I think this is just by circumstance that they pulled in here and wanted to find a quiet neighborhood. If this had not been quiet enough for them, they probably would have kept on driving until they found something a little more secluded, but you don't want to be seen getting out of the car or dumping the car somewhere. You drive down here, like we're looking at it right now, there's not a whole lot of activity. I think we had three cars that passed us and we were there for about a half an hour. But if, you know, I really don't know if you screamed, would anybody hear you? Not sure. Have you been to the spot where they found her? Once. Did you just go by yourself? No. I think I went with one of the detectives. Did you feel like you needed to go there for yourself, or did they just want to bring you there for... I think they wanted to bring us there to see if anything looked familiar or out of the ordinary or... But um, I do drive by the house that we used to live in a lot. The first couple years after I got my driver's license, I would always drive by the house just to look, just to see, like, all the flowers that me and my mom used to plant. She was big on that. She planted the whole entire house, like, surrounded it with flowers. Every kind of flower you could think of. We had it. But I think that's the one thing I didn't take after my mom. Like, I can't keep anything alive. <laughs> I could kill a cactus. <laughs> my mother-in-law grows a lot of vegetables and stuff like that. And every time she goes away, she was like, please don't forget to water my plants. Okay, she'll call back. And she's like, did you water my plants? I'm like, yes, I watered your plants. <laughs> It's like they don't trust you with their plans. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> For the next few days, the detective work was fast and furious. The medical examiner took custody of Jennifer Tong's body. I mean, it was obvious at the scene that we, we knew the manner of death, but they have to obviously go through their procedures and do what they have to do. Crime scene investigators turned Jennifer's car inside out. Fingerprinted, dusted for prints. It was vacuumed for fibers, for everything else like that by the county detectives, and there was nothing that ever came out of it that was worthwhile for us. There are no fingerprints? Well, there were, but there were there was a set of prints they couldn't identify that I think they put in APHIS a couple of times, which is an automated fingerprint identification system, and nothing's ever come back. In theory, if these guys had murdered her or never arrested, their fingerprints aren't going to be on file. Five, ten years from now, that person who's much older now 
commits a crime and their prints are found, we could get potentially a hit. Back in that time also, we didn't have all the DNA uh, testing and everything that we have now. TJ and I were talking about that. If, if we had that back in 93, you know, the whole car probably would have been swabbed and everything else for DNA, for any sweat, for any saliva, for anything whatsoever, but we, we didn't have it. Is her car in evidence or what happened to you? No, the car, after the car was processed and felt that we got everything out of it that we could possibly get, then the car was released again. The husband sold the car after they got it back. Yeah. They didn't want it anymore, obviously. Pretty soon after. It was a new, it was a 93, so it was a newer car, but they didn't hang on to it long. And he had sold Which it. Which you would. I mean, I wouldn't want to either. So that, that kind of went away. So no leads from the car, no murder weapon. Sergeant McGuire started talking to everyone who knew Jennifer Tong. From that point on, then I was paired up with one of the county detectives. Uh, we came back in here, had family members come in here to sit and talk to the family, you know, family information and uh, work information and everything else that we needed to get. I understand she was working at Olga's Kitchen and KOP. And- Actually, it seemed to me that she's working, as her family all did, that they just kept working all the time. They'd have a job during the day, they'd have a job at night. So the husband owned a, a restaurant in Havertown. And she, she worked there sometimes, but then she worked at the, the Olga's Kitchen separately. And did you talk to the people at both places? Yes. Just yeah. to see, and was there anything you learned from that? No, once again, you know, she was more of a private person and wouldn't necessarily share a lot of information with anybody. She was very friendly to everybody, but just she had a very small circle of close friends. The family restaurant, he owned it. Is it still there? He got out of it a few years after. Yeah, I, I, there so may still a be a restaurant there, but it may it's be a different his. name now. But it was not. Yeah, it was not the one that he had. Oh hi, my name is uh, Kristen Johansson. I'm actually calling from KYW News Radio. They obviously talked to her husband, who had told them that he was running errands that early in the morning. They brought him in a few times to question him. I know, I know. I'm explaining. Sorry, I'm a reporter. I'm with KYW News Radio. Kristen called Jeanette's dad to ask if he wanted to participate in the podcast. He said his English wasn't very good, and then he ended the call. Wait. Hello? So have you talked to her husband? Yes, we reach out to him from time to time, and they ask him to stop in, and he comes in willingly, and we sit and we talk. And we just go over the case again, and we talk about all the details again, and uh, see if he's ever heard anything in the in the community or the circle that they run in and uh, we have a lot of questions and, and he has a lot of questions and answers and, and, and that's we have an exchange but generally I guess we've been doing it just about like every year or so or 15 months you know we'll reach out to him and just make sure he knows we're still here and we're still thinking about the case so looking into the case and and he's uh, he's come in every single time for us he like it's like uh, sergeant said he's cooperated Six years ago, he was on board with the investigation, but we've reached out to him to bring him in. And do we know about her whereabouts the night before? Or what she was doing the night before? She worked, I believe, till late, came home later at night. It was just part of her routine. It was, yeah, there was nothing that was out of the ordinary for what she normally had done. Was she going to do that day? Do you guys know her? That's how they found out she didn't show up for work. Yeah, she was doing Olga's Kitchen, and then I think that they... Yeah, when we contacted them, and that was sometime obviously well after 2 o'clock, they had already noticed that she wasn't there or there or wondering what was going on. They had placed some phone calls trying to get in touch with her. Sometime in the afternoon, she was supposed to be there. And she was a mother. She had, had two small kids. And how old were they at the time? 
uh, I can relate to this because they're like the same age as me now. I, I believe the daughter was 11 and the son was 14, which was would have been my age at the time this happened. Do you remember talking to them at all? Or? Yeah, we had other detectives talk to them. So I, I, I had some contact with them, but that was somebody else's area to go speak to them while we concentrate on some other parts of the case. Remember the last time that you talked to your mom? It was a Saturday that my mom passed away. The last time I talked to her was on that Thursday. She called up to New York to check on me with my brother, see how we were doing, if we were okay. I remember sitting in the living room in my aunt's house talking to her on the phone. Last time. What were the next days like? Was that like um? I mean, we had have to go back funeral? to the house. We were we went back to the the house. I think either the next day or the following day. Just kind of like looked around. I remember the detectives brought us all in just to talk to us just to see what we knew what we didn't know you know I remember talking to them a lot and then when did um I assume there was a funeral but how did that all go um the funeral was actually in New York it was over a span of like two days and my mom is actually buried in um, North Jersey not far from New York other than that, I think the rest of the summer, we just really hung out at my grandma's house. I remember my youngest aunt took me and my cousin to Virginia Beach, I think it was, just to kind of get away from everything, to have some peace and try to take our mind off of everything. Did you, you went back to school, I assume, in September. What was, I guess your dad kind of took over as the primary Actually, person or what happened? I think my dad was going through a lot at that time. And we actually moved to New Jersey to live with my youngest aunt. So she took care of us, me and my brother. She took care of me and my brother for that following school year. Um, new house friends do school so that was definitely hard so we stayed there for a year and I think I just me and my brother just missed our friends and felt you know I mean verbal so we asked my dad if we could move back and my dad said yeah he rented an apartment and we moved back the following year so that first year Definitely my aunt was probably, you know what I mean, she had to act, act like the mom, act, act like the dad. She did everything. So she definitely stepped, stepped up and took care of me and my brother. What would you say is the impact that that has had? Because you were so young. I mean, 11, you're like, you're not a teenager. Like, you know what I mean? Saying, like, on your own, like... It was definitely hard to do things that I normally did with my mom. 
I think the hardest was graduating high school, getting married, having kids. Make my mom love kids. And I just know my mom would have loved to be around my kids. My aunts have done a lot to step in to make up for what my mom would have done if she was here. You know, like, spoil the crap out of my kids. Candy for lunch. Ice cream for breakfast. (laughs) What's her answer for? You know, my aunt takes, my youngest aunt takes the kids back to, you know what I mean? She'll be like, okay, you know, while we go back to school shopping for sneakers. You know, she tries a lot. All of them do. They're trying to make up for everything. I remember my oldest aunt bought me my wedding dress because she said that's what mommy would have done. Every person who investigator who's a lead investigator in any case that you have here, and, and TJ will attest to this, that you take a personal interest in it. Um, you know, my, my career is coming to an end in some time, and I'd really like to, certain things I guess I'd really like to see get resolved before I go. It's, you know, you, you do it for your fam- for the family, you do it for the community, you do it for yourself. Anything that's just left hanging over your head, it's just, it feels like there's something, some part of you haven't done everything you're supposed to do, and, and you haven't completed what you have to complete. I was brought in in 13 to, to assist Sergeant McGuire. Um, it was the first one I've uh, investigated. I've had a few more, unfortunately, since then. Um, you know, it just leaves an empty feeling. Empty feeling for the kids. I mean, they grew up without a mother. You know, they have grandchildren now that don't have a grandmom because of some act of a coward. You know, wants to abduct a, a lady from her house and, and essentially execute her. I have to be honest, they sound almost, like, protective of you. They were very, you know, even with us reaching out, like, they're very, like, we have to even talk to her judge to see if she would even let us do this. Like, they're very protective of you. I think they definitely have known, gotten to know me and my personality. So, you know, I do believe that um, they know. When TJ texted me a couple weeks ago and told me about this, he's like, you know, he's like, it's totally up to you. And I in return said, you know, what are your thoughts? You know, because I value their opinion as well. And they said, look, can't hurt. You know, it's, it, you know what I mean? It's not going to make things worse. So, you know, maybe somebody will hear this podcast and remember these people are out there. They, they got away with this. But maybe someone will hear, hey, there's a Toyota Celica in 1993 and someone listening to this will say oh that that rings a bell now since a lot of time has passed some people may be a little more willing to share some information that they would not share at the time somebody had to talk about it at some point right there's five of them so there's no reason so I guess just knowing why that's all I want to know I miss her every day. So obviously, I would urge anyone to come forward. 
someone lost their life here 26 years ago um, to provide closure to the family uh, I think would go a long way but I mean do what's right any information even if you think it's minuscule we will be interested in it and we will investigate it it doesn't matter what piece of information you have for us but if there's anything you know about it at all it will be helpful for us to know uh, may may lead to us solving the crime um, it, it, somebody's you know, so it was somebody's mother. The easiest way to get a con in contact with us is detectives, the word detectives, at radnor.org or 610-688-0503 and uh, ask to speak with a Radnor detective and uh, any tip will be interested in. Don't just dismiss it because you think it's uh, useless information. Somebody out there knows something. They may know something and not even really think it's a big deal, but it could lead to a break in the case, and that's what we're, what we're looking for. If you know something about the murder of Jennifer Tong, please contact Radner Detectives. All the information is in the show notes for this episode. Gone Cold is a KYW News Radio original podcast about unsolved murders in the Philadelphia area. Find us at kywnewsradio.com slash gone cold. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Gone Cold Philly, and you can join our Facebook group too. Just search for Gone Cold Philly. I'm Tom Rickert. I'm Kristen Johansson. Thanks for listening. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.